What up, Rail Split Nation? This is uh, Rail Splitters here with you. Uh, we're going to be talking about Chancellorville here uh, on this episode. So stay tuned. hiatus so um first of all at the top of the show i i am at fault for that so i sent uh oh i forgot to introduce you i'm here with rail splitter mary hey rail splitters and then of course with us uh in spirit rail split uh rail splitter jeremy um so who i think once the school year ends i think uh you'll hear his lovely voice again on the show yay uh, last week, we did not have an episode, so I apologize. I think I texted Mary Thursday. Was it Thursday? It probably was Thursday. It was Thursday. Yeah. Um, basically saying I have done no research um, for the show. Uh, Mary was gracious enough and understanding, so don't blame anybody but Rail Splitter Nick. I figured it was okay since I'm everybody's Rail Splitter. I can get away with it. Yep. So, You're the favorite. No, I apologize. I just got overwhelmed and too busy there so for that evening um so i did some research so they get it all done um but yeah we'll talk more about that as the show comes on but so we're bringing you chance reveal here shortly but like we always do lincoln in the news so i know me and mary both saw this online but mary i'll give you the honors to explain kind of what's happening down at the lincoln museum All right. Well, to begin, there is a 31-foot-tall Lincoln sculpture that has arrived in Springfield just a few days ago. Uh, It's outside the museum and library, and it will be there until 2020. And it's the same statue that is in Gettysburg, only this one is on a much larger scale. So it's called the Return Visit. So it shows Abraham Lincoln with a modern-day man, and the modern-day man is holding a copy of the Gettysburg Address. Um, I've seen the statue in Gettysburg. It's the one on a much smaller scale. It's not my favorite Lincoln statue, but it's kind of a cool concept to show Lincoln with, um, like, you know, someone from the modern day. Um, and I think it's really cool that it's at the, the library and museum now. And it's obviously quite gigantic. So if any rail splitters uh, have been to see it already or do go to see it, please post the photos on our Facebook page. Uh, Nick, do you have any thoughts on the statue at all? Um, is this 30 foot one? This yes, the 31 foot, like the 31 foot tall one with like Lincoln is there and he's got his like, I think his hand is on the man's back and he's like showing like pretending to show him something and the man's holding a copy of the Gettysburg address. So as I take off my sock, (laughs) not that the people need to know that because they weren't watching. Uh, Um, uh, I, you know, you get home, I forgot to take off the dress socks, so. But anyways, uh, sorry to gross everybody out. First, is this like a traveling statue that's been other places? It has. I think it's been in Peoria. I can't. Peoria. Peoria. (laughs) Peoria. Yeah, Peoria. It's been in. I think it's been in a few other places. That's the first time ever I got to correct somebody on the show for saying 
uh, mispronouncing the name. Wow, I'm surprised that's the first time you've had to correct me on, on mispronouncing stuff because I do it all the time. Well, I probably don't know half the time. No. So. <laughs> but uh, okay, so it's been other places. Mm-hmm. I guess I should have known that if it was in Peoria. Uh, I'm going to be down there, like I was telling you before we started, uh, mm-hmm. around June, June 6th for sure. I'm probably going to stay over maybe June 5th, June 6th. So I'll be there 5th through the 7th possibly. Um, so I'm going to definitely go out there and see it, snap a pic. Nice. Then that also leads us to our other bit of news, which I'll also give you the honors for. Today, the Abraham Lincoln Presidential Library Museum followed our Twitter account. So thank you to them for that. And uh, when I got the notification today, I was like, oh, my God, that's awesome. So to the staff at the ALPLM, uh, who I'm sure is listening to this show, um, to start their work day on a Friday morning. Good morning to all of you. Thank you. Uh, Icky Tangy, that's my Twitter name. Uh, I'll be down in Springfield. You know what? I should stop in and hit you guys up, and then we should chit-chat, get you guys on the show, somebody there. I'll interview all. We get the 25. We get all our summer shows taken care of that day. Sounds good to me. So, no, that's awesome. A true honor. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that is very cool. So, some new stuff to see down there. I think they got a recently a new exhibits put up, too, yep. down in the museum. So, I can't remember what it is, the traveling one. but um, And I'm sure they'll be busy this time of year. So, uh, maybe I'll see some rail splitters out there uh, June 4th through the 6th or 5th through the 7th. Whenever the hell I end up down there. So anything else you got there, Mayor? No, I don't. Well, I'm going to the Grant birthplace next week. So I might be doing a Facebook Live from my Civil War fan girl Facebook page. But I'll if I do that, I'll be sure to post it on the Real Splitter page too. But I'm going to see, like, I've never been there before. And it's a pretty small site. But I thought it'd be cool to visit when I'm in Ohio. And I'm going to be staying in Cincinnati for a few days. You could give us a Facebook Live. I could do it from the Real Splitter page instead. Oh, you were saying you were going to do Facebook Live from your page? Yes. Yeah. I was okay, okay. I got you. No, yeah. no, no, that's fine. I, I and then share it on the Real Splitter page. Shows you how well I listen. <laughs> um, no, no, you don't need to do that at all. Civil War fan group. More people are going to see it doing it from your page. We'll share it. So. Hey, I did a little Facebook Live for the vet project thing that I do. I saw that. It was really good. Yeah, I don't know how I felt about it. But, yeah, it was something to do. So maybe I'll start doing it on the Rail Splitter page. You should. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> um, dude, the historian, the, what is it? The Tattoo Historian does it a lot. Hey, I finally started listening to his podcast. You guys... Tattoo historian, great podcast out there. Yeah, he's and got. I know, Mary, you were a guest on his podcast, right? No, no, I haven't no, no, been. No. Tattoo historian, if you're listening, you should have Mary on your podcast. <laughs> he does what you talk about, man. Um, so, no, great podcast. Though we, we'll probably talk off air about that. But anyways, we are here today because we originally thought we were going to do this episode at the beginning of May or the end of April, and that's right when Chancellorville took place. This was a nice lead-off of Fredericksburg, which we talked about in detail. And we hit some speed bumps. We had some different episodes. But finally, we are here. We talked about the man who will lead the Union side, Joseph Hooker. I want to start by saying, man, I forgot how long 
and complex this battle is. I think a lot of these battles we're talking like one, two days, but there is a lot that went into this. Hooker had an extensive, uh, you know, definitely brought something different to the table than the previous generals. Um, I think he challenged Lee from a mental aspect. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Lee took probably the biggest risk. He took all Civil War um, in handling this. This is also, of course, most of you probably know this from the battle where Stonewall is shot, um, loses his arm, which you can visit, and where he passes away. Um, but there's a lot more to it. I just, when I sat down, I was like, dang. I've forgotten everything that goes into it. So I've enjoyed going back and researching for this. I don't know how you feel about all that, Mary. No, I've really enjoyed it too. I forgot how complicated it was. And there was times where I was like having to kind of sketch things out for myself to see it. Cause I have a tough time like visualizing in my head what's happening with the battle. So I have to look at maps or just sketch it out. But yeah, it's complicated, but it's very interesting. And the fact it goes from May 1st to the 6th, that was something I'd forgotten to. I didn't realize how long of a, like, and it's technically just a campaign, like, or like it's a battle, but then it's also yeah. called the Chancellorsville campaign. Um, and the bulk of the fighting is done on the 1st to the 3rd. But yeah, it, it's complicated. And like, I think Sears, Sears in his book, um, Lincoln's Lieutenants, which I used for the bulk of my research, he says that it was like one of the grandest battle designs like for the army of the Potomac to that date. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I'm reading Sears's Chancellorville book that he mm-hmm. wrote on the battle and Sears has written many battle books and he does a really good job. So to any readers looking for somebody to dive into in battles, he's a good place to start for sure. Yeah. He also loves to throw shade at McClellan. It's hilarious. Some of the stuff he he'll randomly say about McClellan. Dude, speak about Cleland. This is another shout out. I'm just giving all sorts of shout outs to the tattoo historian. Uh, I forget who he was talking about. I forgot what episode, but they brought up a brief point, which would be a great episode for us down the road. Is McClellan goes over to Europe during the Crimean War, Mm -hmm. and then they were speculating maybe what he saw there, he ended up knowing what battle meant. Which made like what was the psychological impact of that war on McClellan? That'd be a fascinating. I don't know if there's a book out there. If Rail Splitters, you know a book that really touches on McClellan and his experience in Europe and experience of the Crimean War and maybe the impact it had on him, I'd be interested in that. Mm-hmm. So, but uh, sorry, that totally left off. No, that's fine. That's what we're about here at the Rail Splitter Podcast. That's all. Yeah, I all I have from well, I do have a biography about McClellan written by Sears actually and um and I have a book of his wartime letters that he that he wrote to uh there's some to his wife and then just correspondence with Lincoln and all that and they're actually they're in a way funny to read but also very uh interesting too like cuz I mean they're primary source Oh yeah we're going through research papers in class right now mm. I'm great in research papers. I don't miss write, writing those <laughs> Well I miss writing it when I'm reading some subpar <laughs> ones. But anyways, I've had some very good ones too. So. Well, that's good. Um, all right. So we do have a previous episode, for those of you who maybe listened to us for the first time, where we talked about Joseph Hooker um, that I think would complement this episode. I think you could either you could do it either before or after, I think, the way we talked about it. And to be honest, we don't know where this episode is going to take us. This could be part one of one. This could be part one of two. This could be part one of three. Yep. Um, I don't think it'll be more than that. 
just so we're just going to go through thoughts that pop in our head. We're going to talk about. Um, I'll let you take over here, Mary, to kind of start and introduce the battle. Okay. Um, you know, kind of pick it up from there. So, All right. where do you want to start with this? How far back are we going? Okay, so um, the battles fought near Spotsylvania, Virginia, and Sears describes it as it was not a village nor a hamlet, but at one time was a tavern on the Orange Plank Road, 10 miles west of Fredericksburg. So the Union Army is not far removed from where they were in December. Like, at all. They've been in winter quarters this entire time. And Chancellorsville is at a crossroads clearing by what is known as the Wilderness. So this is a very dark, tangled forest. It's called a second-growth forest because when the settlers came in, Many years before, they chopped down all the trees. And then this is kind of the regrowth of that. And it's very brambly, and it's uh, not a great spot to fight a battle, as is told by Union Engineer Governor K. Warren, who said, no one can conceive of a more unfavorable field for the movement of a grand army. So in other words, it's a really shitty spot to uh, fight a battle. But that's, that's, why they, that's why they fight two there too, pretty much. Yeah, that, and it. But I mean, that's typical. Like, I mean, Hooker and Lee are not meeting for beers at some tavern beforehand and being like, so, like this wilderness place is kind of not a great spot. It's dark. Can we fight elsewhere? You know, like this is battles happen where they happen, and it's just like at Shiloh. Shiloh is not an ideal spot to fight a battle, but that's where it happened. Um. No, I, I agree, and it's and it's in just to uh, give. It's really close. I mean, Fredericksburg. You'll actually have troops who take part in this battle who will be pretty much stationed in Fredericksburg. Mm-hmm. Um, they'll pretty much have fighting at Fredericksburg again. So um, just about, and then so if those looking to tackle battlefields, you can knock out this. You know, Chancellorsville Wilderness takes place same area. Um, am I correct on that? Yeah, right. I think so. Yeah, yeah, and then spots. You know, you just have. It's a really nice condensed area if you're looking to summer trip and knock out several battlefields at once. Yeah, and it's um like there's many forces engaged here. So there's 154,734. 97,382 of these are Union troops versus 57,352 con- Confederate troops. This is one of the most lopsided battles fought in the Civil War. The Union troops are nearly... They're double the amount of what the Confederate troops are. So going into this battle, you know, thinking, oh, they're outnumbered. So the Union definitely, like, being the stronger ones, like, more troops, the Union definitely has the advantage here. And they, the Union troops had other advantages, too. Like, with the uh, changes that Joseph Hooker made to the Army of the Potomac um, when he took command, which we discussed those in the episode about Joseph Hooker, but just to refresh your memory, like they've got cleaner hospitals, better food. Um, there's now the Bureau of Military Investigation. So there's better intelligence to know what the enemy is up to. So they have many positives going for them. And most of all, their morale has been raised um, from the disaster that was Fredericksburg as well as Burnside's Mud March. So you have an army that's morale is pretty good. And that's a lot of what you need going into a battle. Yeah, Hooker really does a great job of that. I mean, I always do coach analogies, but like a coach, you have like people who consider practice coaches. Mm-hmm. You do a great job, you know, running practice, getting them prepared for the games. And I think Hooker did just about his best. 
I don't know what he could have done anymore, especially to get morale switched over like he did and to get people prepared. Um, so I think, and we mentioned that previously. Yeah, no, and, and that that's what he needed, and that's what Lincoln wanted in this new leader of the Army of the Potomac was somebody that could raise morale and, you know, make the Army of the Potomac a better fighting machine, and he thought that Hooker was the man to do that. Um and there's some other notable Union troops here, too. Um, Reynolds, Couch, Sickles, Meade, Sedgwick, Howard, Slocum, Gibbon, Gibbon Hancock, Barlow, and Stoneman. And a few of these guys are going to make a reappearance in just a couple months at Gettysburg. Um, and the Union Army, instead of being made up of grand divisions that Burnside had, Hooker has turned them into corps with like cores with three divisions in each. And I'm still trying to wrap my mind around how that all works. Um, but that's like, basically there's a lot of the union troops here that are going to be like, their names are very well known now. Um, and Confederate troops are commanded by general Lee and Jackson Longstreet and Stewart are also here and Stewart will be present for this entire battle. I'm talking about Jeb Stewart on like a couple months from now when he won't be present for the entire battle at Gettysburg. Um, I like to pick on Jeb Stewart and just a side note, Jeb Stewart, um, actually the anniversary of his death just passed. He was, uh, the story goes, he was shot by a sharpshooter who was uh, originally from Canada all right, Canada, take it yep. down. No, yep. <laughs> Jeb, Jeb could use a little poking at. I mean, he thought highly of himself. He so. did, yeah. And he got a lot of press coverage, too. So, you know what? We could knock him down a couple pegs. Yeah, he, he did. Do. He was a cavalier. He was good for the media. He was good for morale and all that. And I think he was talented at what he did. And um, But definitely, like, Gettysburg was kind of his falling point. But he, he's... Because he's kind of... Has to step up to the table here at Chancellorsville, kind of finds himself in an odd circumstance just because of how things played out. Yeah, he does. And he actually does a pretty good job of it. Like, he does a pretty good job of it, too. Yeah. Um, But we won't spoil it. No, not yet. So the Army of Northern Virginia is very scattered before the battle, which is not good. Um, Longstreet is near Norfolk in order to protect Richmond. And he's finding provisions for Lee. And Hood and Pickett are 130 miles away, also finding provisions. Um, But if they're needed in an emergency, it would take them a week to get to Lee, even if they're moving quickly. And so the fact that they're all scattered finding provisions tells you what Lee's Army of Northern Virginia has been through during the winter. They haven't had much food. They're weak. Well, definitely weaker than what the Army of the Potomac is going to be. Um, so you would think that they are definitely at a disadvantage going into this. And both sides have been in winter quarters, but it's now spring and the battle season is beginning again. So, yeah, and I think that just kind of shows it highlights the biggest advantage the North had was their resources. Um, and the ability to move their resources and stuff like that where the Confederates didn't. 
Um, so Lincoln is getting really antsy for Hooker to make a move upon Lee, just because it's going into springtime and something needs to be done. Like the Union Army needs to have a win after what happened at Fredericksburg and with the mud march. Um, so as I said, Sears has described this uh, battle plan as the most innovative in Potomac, like in the Potomac Ar- Army to date. Um, so basically, it's a double envelopment attacking Lee both front and rear. So coming at him from both sides. Um, so you have a three core flanking column with 40,000 men marching in secrecy, quote unquote, secrecy up the Rappahannock to the junction at the Rapidan at Kelly's Ford. And then two corps will cross the bridge downriver from Fredericksburg and threaten Lee's right flank. This group can be supported by sickles, which is a scary thought. Uh, <laughs> if needed. Oh, where there's more dumb ass sickles moments. Yeah. In Gettysburg. <laughs> and John Gibbon and his division will stay at Fredericksburg just to, so that part of Lee's army will stay there. Um, and to Lincoln hooker writes, the object in crossing high up river is to come down in the rear of the enemy, holding strong, strong, strong positions. So two things need to happen. The weather needs to cooperate and general knee, like general Lee needs to remain dumb of what hookers doing. And that's the thing I find with these battle plans is they, they sound really great on paper, but they seem to forget like the opponent side of it, that this is all like, as long as Lee doesn't find out about it. Yeah. I mean, I think in reality, it's always good to have a plan, but you also got to be willing to adjust your plan. Mm-hmm. Fly. And as far as his plan, I mean, for the first half of it, it goes pretty much as planned. I mean, you couldn't ask for it to be better for the most part outside of a few things. So um, definitely an ambitious plan, something different. And then something that Sears hit on the book is it talks a lot about Hooker and Hooker's experience in war up to this point. A lot of his experience at Antietam, um, Fredericksburg was making these full front charges and just kind of, you know, um, the casualty hit that he took in all this. So he was really trying to find a way to fight on a ground of his choosing in a more defensive manner. Um, so that's really what he's trying to do, outmaneuver Lee here to get him in a position where he's calling the field of battle and they can kind of sit back and for once have them make the charge instead of Hooker being other way. So I think that kind of shows, you know, kind of the psychological impact his war experience had um, and kind of understanding just, you know, how devastating it is to make mm-hmm. these frontal assaults with, you know, the technology at that time and some of the tactics and just the way that things have been playing out. Well, with what he went through at Fredericksburg, that hooker had to make that assault on Mary's Heights, knowing full well what would happen. And he had his troops make that assault until he had lost the maximum amount that he was allowed to lose. Yeah. So I, I think that's definitely playing. So there's a lot of factors influencing this. Mm-hmm. Lincoln, you know, wanting something to get done. His war experience. Um, may, I'm sure Lee's impacting it, knowing that you can't just do a simple, you know, plan. Um, maybe, maybe that's the train of thought. I don't know. Maybe I like to think that is, but 
yeah, definitely a more ambitious plan than what we've seen maybe from a few others. Well, I think the thing that happens, too, is a lot of these generals, too, like the, the early ones like Burnside and Hooker, they've proven themselves in battle leading like a brigade, a division, a corps. But then when they're given command, it becomes different. And I think it's because the responsibility changes that you're in charge of the whole army. And in that, like, I, I get it, like, that that's like you become the supervisor or you're the captain of the ship. You're no longer a deckhand with a few people below you, but you're the captain in charge of everybody. And if something yeah. goes wrong, you are to blame. Yeah, and you also got to put a lot of trust and responsibilities in others' hands. Yeah. And then you got to be able to adapt when they don't perform or understand what you're trying to relay. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, communication becomes a big issue um, to pull it off. And it also becomes a big issue because there's a communication breakdown yeah. um, too during this battle, um, trying to relay his messages. So, yeah, yeah and, definitely ambitious. And so April 29th and 30th, you have this flanking column or the flying column, as Hooker calls it, crossing the river. There's pontoons there for them. And then... Um, Hooker writes them, the general desires that not a moment be lost until our troops are established near Chancellorsville. From that moment, all will be ours. So Hooker is portraying a a confidence, which in a general, that's great. Like, you've got to be confident for your troops and just to keep that morale up. Um, But some authors and some things I read said that this was Hooker's overconfidence. I don't know if it was really overconfidence or just him showing confidence in his troops and just showing like we can do this and we need to do this. I think it's, I'm going coach analogy again. Um, it's like you have a good week of practice. You watch the video, you put together your game plan. You know, you've really thought about it. You've changed it up. Um, you know, it's a team that you lost to a couple times and you feel like you have it figured out. And then you're going in that game, super confident. Um, that's kind of how I feel like where he's at. He mm-hmm. felt like, Figured it out. Yeah. He got. He has the game plan that will finally beat Lee. Um, and and he's just a hundred percent confident this will do it, no yeah. matter what happens. Yeah, and Lee actually writes to Jeff Davis that the that he knows that the Union has crossed the river, and he says their intention, I presume, is to turn our left and probably get into our rear. Our scattered condition favors their operations, so Lee knows that he could be in trouble with his scattered troop positions. And I think he actually probably is a little bit nervous about this, but it's general Lee and he, he does, he is talented. He's, you know, he's a great tactician. So the union flanking column arrives at Chancellorsville by April 30th. So they're all gathered there. And then you still have some of the troops back at Fredericksburg as well. Yeah, and that goes pretty well, too, as far as the flanking movement. Yeah. Um, very little is known about where they're at. Um, things are going well. It's kind of interesting when you hear about, like, uh, what's the nickname that's given to the guys that are out there doing that? The flying column or whatever. The flying column, yeah. Yeah, just kind of how, like, they really limited to what they could carry. They have, like, what, rations for eight days. Yeah. Kind of like this very mobile unit, which you don't think of a lot in the Civil War. Um, so, it just... At this point, things are going well for Hooker. Yeah. And then on May 1st, Hooker starts advancing to Lee, but then Lee 
does something very risky. He splits his army. And in doing this, this will keep General Sedgwick, the Union General Sedgwick, at Fredericksburg. And he won't be able to advance to Chancellorsville to reinforce Hooker if needed. Um, and then the other part of the army goes down to Chancellorsville. And that's where the first shots of the battle are fired at around 11.20 a.m. And then Jackson has marched his men along two roads toward Ch- Chancellorsville as Hooker is marching his men along three roads from Chancellorsville. Um, so the situation is actually favorable for Hooker, but he ends up halting the offensive. And I read one article that said this is because he's lacking confidence and that Hooker had always been an effective and aggressive um, division and corps commander. Um, but as you said, Nick, he wants to fight defensively. So he's probably trying to draw Lee into fighting, you know, to attacking him. And had he decided he wanted to fight um, the smaller number of forces to attack nearly double the, like it's nearly double the amount of troops that the union had when they're at Chancellorsville. Um, So the union army takes a defensive position in the wilderness surrounding Chancellorsville and Hooker is hoping that Lee will attack or end up retreating with, then the union forces can follow him and, um, There's also confusing orders from Hooker throughout the day, and he suspends the attack. And he sends a message to his corps commanders that say, the major general commanding trusts that a suspension in the attack today will embolden the enemy to attack him. And this does not make his corps commanders happy at all. Um, They had been fighting for some potentially high ground, and Hooker stopped them like from doing so. And General Meade said, my God, if we can't hold the top of that hill, we certainly can't hold the bottom of it. Um, And Sears does argue that Hooker may have been right to pull back since Stonewall Jackson was advancing and the Union Army would have been outnumbered. Yeah, I think it's, to me, a lot of the Monday morning quarterbacking that's going on here is very easy with hindsight. Um, obviously. And then, but you, you think from, okay, so you got hooker, he's got a game plan. Yeah. You know, and it's gone well so far. And it's like the first quarter of a game. You just bail from your game plan. Um, you know, you were asking him to identify this advantage that he probably wasn't expecting at all to have, you know, Lee makes kind of already this risky move here. And then, you know, it just, I think it's asking a lot to expect him to identify that. Now, would a great coach slash general have done that? Mm-hmm. Probably, yeah. Okay. Um, but, you know, we're talking great. People are great because there's not many like that. So I think it's kind of a lot to ask for Hooker to have recognized that. And then maybe that's just me looking too big picture, not looking into the details. Oh, okay, you should have seen this happening there. Should it, plus, he had communication breaks down, which Sears does a great job talking about it. Because they're trying to use telegraphs at this mm-hmm. time. It's not working. The machine's not going through. The messages are all jumbled. Um, so there is a great communication breakdown, too. So from a safety reason, maybe that was the right decision to pull back like he did. Um, so I think we always got to try to put ourselves in their shoes in that moment. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, there's always great what ifs. What if they were advancing and stuff? You know, maybe we're not spending a whole episode talking about chance reveal because maybe it's over quick. Um, but yeah, I, I, I feel my gut tells me maybe we're people I've been a little too hard on him on this first day here. I agree. So I don't know. Just kind of I keep thinking from the coaching standpoint and big picture of stuff. Plus, he still has this plan in place. Still, mm-hmm. I mean, he doesn't have to abandon his game plan at all. At this point, at least from his mentality. Yeah, and I mean, I completely agree with you, and I like the coach analogies too. Like, I mean, Lee did something really risky in splitting his army, and it's probably not what Hooker expected him to do. So Hooker's having to, like, you're the general, like, you're commanding the army. He's having to think on his feet, and sometimes you, like, the thoughts you have you know, if you could go back, like, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty, right? He might have done things differently, but he's looking at Lee probably did the last thing that he, like, what Lee did was probably the last thing that Hooker had thought he would do in splitting his army. Um, and and kind of like that night's like, he's just like, all right, time out. They're throwing something at us that we weren't expecting. Let's regroup and figure this out. Yeah, and it's not like he can shout over to like Stonewall Jackson, dude, can you stop advancing? I need to think about what you're doing right now. Please. Yeah, Stonewall ain't stopping for nobody. You mean like, no, not stopping. And so the Union Army falls back. And um, something else important happens on May the 1st, and that is the final meeting between General Lee and General Thomas Stonewall Jackson. And they meet to talk about what's going to happen the next day. And that's when Jeb Stewart arrives with intelligence as to where the Union Army is. And Lee decides it would be best if Jackson does a flanking march. And Jackson says he will take his whole command to do so. Another risky move. <laughs> yeah. Poor dude. Jackson's guys just must be used to marching. Hey, we're going to have you flank. We're going to have you flank again. This. Yep. So. All, um, all they do is march. Yeah, Sears does a nice job too in his Chancellorville book, kind of setting the stage and like the way he's describing, based on you know the research he did, how the meeting took place. Kind of the two of them just kind of underneath the tree, out in the dark, you know, um, talking stuff through. So um, he does a good job writing that part of the book. I enjoyed that. Yeah, when I was listening to the Civil War podcast, that it's also an excellent podcast to listen to. They cover Chancellorsville and it's a crazy amount of episodes, but they do an excellent job. They, they talk about this final meeting between Lee and Jackson. And I actually had chills like listening to the episode. Cause it's like, it's the final time that they're going to meet and they're going to speak to each other. Um, and just kind of making their last, like making what will be their last decisions together. Um, so then that ends May the 1st. And then going back to that rule, I mean, that's like, that's the Confederate version of Grant and Sherman. It is. Like, they had that, they knew how each other thought, they knew what they would get from the other person, and there was just that trust there. They, I don't think you really see outside of Grant and Sherman. Um, maybe you do on a smaller scale, I'm just not aware of. Um, but yeah, so that definitely was, you know, as soon as Jackson goes, he definitely lost. Mm-hmm. I forget what the quote is, but... Lee definitely lost his left hand or whatever. Yeah, there is another um, partnership in the Confederate Army that's not as well known that was very similar to that, and that's between General Hardy and General Claiborne. They had a very similar 
understanding of each other. They were best friends. Um, a lot of parallel, like um, when I read Claiborne's biography, I did notice that. And I was like, oh, this is another one of those friendships where there's a trust. Um, and it's interesting to see those because they seem to be um, like, there's not too many of them in the Civil War, but it's interesting when they do pop up. But yeah, like Jackson and Lee definitely are like the Confederate version of Sherman and, and Grant. For sure. And I think Reynolds and Meade had that as well, too. They seemed to be able to read each other. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why Meade sent Reynolds forward at, um, you know, to go to Gettysburg and check check things out because there was that trust there. Yeah, so, no, I agree. So on May 2nd, um, Hooker has been trying to get a hold of Reynolds, but due to poor telegraph lines... The message that was sent at 2.30 to him um, did not reach him for a few hours, and Reynolds ends up having to do a risky daylight march towards Chancellorsville. Um, And then Lee divides his army so that Jackson can make his march, and Lee is left with 15,000 men to fight hooker at chancellorsville while jackson is marching like around to make this kind of flanking i think it's like a flanking maneuver isn't it yeah it is yeah um so what lee does here is he manages to fight off hooker most of the day with just a scant line of skirmishers and i don't know how he managed to do that um but jackson ends up surprising the union 11th corps around 5 p.m and so this is the Union right, um, and they're flanked and attacked by Jackson. Yeah, and I mean, they completely caught off guard, too. I mean, the march that he makes, when you look at the battle map, you're just like, dude, this, this is a ballsy move here. And mm-hmm. definitely was a ballsy, aggressive move. And that's the one thing when you take the defensive, you put the initiative in the other camp. Um, and Lee took, a, took the initiative with that maneuver and catches them. You know, basically, they flank him. Um, the only problem is, is the time of day that they end up flanking them yep. because it's five o'clock, um, in the woods on top of it. So, you know, you're not going to, sometimes when the sun sets, you know, if you're in open prairie, like we are here in Illinois, you know, it's not as dark, but you take it in the woods and then, well, I'll give you the honors for how things play out here, Mary. So Stonewall Jackson after... The day has concluded, is out with his men doing some scouting. And when it's dusk and you're in the woods and you're hearing, you know, the sounds of walking over the the undergrowth and all that, like you're going to hear twigs snapping and you're going to be paranoid. And you're going to start shooting. And Stonewall Jackson walks near some North Carolinians and they shoot him. He's shot three times by friendly fire. And in the Civil War podcast, they talk about like just the um, like the percentage chance that Jackson had of getting hit by three bullets was in like it's it's insane. The um, the numbers that they gave. But the fact that he was hit was just like asked like it was crazy. Um, Very unlucky that that happened, that he managed to get wounded three times with what like how much like cuz the rifles weren't very accurate i guess mm-hmm. so for him to get three hit three times was pretty astounding um 
And one of those shots, I think, goes through his hand, another through his arm, and then I can't remember where the other one went. But his horse, Little Sorrel, um, she ends up bolting. Um, and she had she was a very calm horse for the most part. Like, she would sometimes fall asleep during battle. Um, she was a Morgan horse, and they were known for their um, just how stoic they can be. And this was the first time she ever bolted was when he shot. And when when she bolted, he got cut up by branches and he fell off the horse. And that's when he broke his arm. And um, when he was being transported back, um, back to camp, they ended up dropping him off his stretcher and he fell on the arm that he'd been shot on. Dude. Not, not a good uh not a good run there for uh Stonewall. No. But kudos to the Union troops because they found little Sorrel and they actually returned her to Stonewall cuz they um she was quite a famous horse being st- cuz Stonewall Jackson was so famous. Um but anyway, none of the wounds that he he receives are fatal. Um he actually will die on May the 10th from pneumonia. And they suspect he might have had that going into the battle. Um, they say he had symptoms of like a cold um, and he had like upper respiratory problems. So they think that he got an infection and ended up dying of pneumonia. Did you mention that he got his arm amputated? Oh yes. He, yeah. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. He ends up getting his arm amputated. And there is a grave site for his arm. Yep. Which I've not been to, but I do know. Neither have I. Which is bizarre to me. But that is Stonewall. A lot of bizarre. I was reading something. They don't believe that he really did suck on lemons. I just read that. I thought he, he did. did. Yeah, that's the story behind it. Unless I dreamed this. But I don't think so. Um, I don't know where that was. I'll have to try to look that up. But supposedly, yeah, somebody that was kind of the myth. Yeah, I've read that. Like, I've read a lot of, like, I've read part of a biography about Stonewall Jackson. I need to finish it. He was a very um, eccentric, strange, quirky man. Yes, he had some unique habits, highly religious. Yeah. Just had a child born. I think it was his second child, too. Yeah, she was only about three months old. Yeah, because his wife was out there in that area. Mm -hmm. Um, And then once his campaign started, uh, she went back home, so... Um. Yeah, right around this time. And his so. sister was like, she was a hardcore abolitionist. Like she was the exact opposite to Jackson. I did not know that. Yeah. Um. There's actually a letter that some of his descendants wrote. I think it was just last year about the taking down of the Confederate statues or like telling them in proper context. And they said we're we're relatives of Stonewall Jackson, and we do not honor or admire him at all. And we, like, I think they said they honor who would be their great, great, great aunt, his sister, who was an abolitionist. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, it was really um, an interesting letter. And um, I think if you just Google, like, Stonewall Jackson ancestors letter about the Confederate monuments, it'll come up. But it was a really powerful and interesting letter to read just how they had everything. Like, well, we're his descendants and we don't honor him and here's why. And So, yeah, I mean, first of all, that's crazy. Uh, good to see the family speak out, though. And, you know, we've talked about the statues over and over on here. So uh, we'll save that for a different podcast. And just but, to let you know, Nick, we're at the 45-minute mark. Yeah. 
I figured we could end with this night here. Yep. And then, all right, perfect. And then, I mean, going back to the story, I don't know if this is getting cut, but anyways, this is rambling now. So, no, listeners. Um, so then, you know, the Stonewall thing is just, I, it's crazy to me that the battle all like, all this commotion out there in the Union right is taking place so late. And they're trying to push this initiative, you know. That's just kind of—it's mind-boggling to me to think how hard it has to be to command troops through this, you know, this wilderness um, at this hour where it had to be dark, chaotic. Um, and I believe it was this night too. Sickles kind of finds himself, imagine this, too far out in front. Yeah. So he actually pulls pulls back, and then Genius Sickles decides, <laughs> "I'm going to make a midnight charge at these guys." like the dumbass that he is. And that basically <laughs> is for not. I mean, it's just, I don't even know why Hooker gave him the green light. Hey, yeah, okay, why, why don't you go ahead? Well, then he uh, ends up getting the shit kicked out of him, right? Like, Yeah, it doesn't go well. So dumbass sickles uh, always causing issues. Well, then they say that the, what he did at Chancellorsville was the reason for what he did at Gettysburg, which was like, oh, there's a gap. Like, I'm just going to move my whole division. Dude, he's uh, sickles. I mean, he's a piece do, of work. Yeah, we could. Do, we should do an episode at some point on sickles. I think just the like the gen, like the political generals in themselves are three ring circuses. Yeah, that, that's politics in general. I feel like <laughs> yeah, <laughs> all well, sides. Well, so. sickles. Like, I mean, he was defended by Stanton. It was the first time that temporary insanity was used as a a defense. Do you have like this political general problem in later wars? Because I don't feel like there is. I guess I you don't think Teddy so. Roosevelt in the Spanish American War, maybe, but um, I think it just like, comes through in the Civil War because there. I mean, Sickles is Sickles. Well, I think too. You just you didn't have a military buildup like we do later, and then it's being split in half. Everything you have too. So I guess there was a need for. Political jackasses. But. Yeah, and I think it was like Lincoln was just like they're like, oh, I want to command. Okay, well here you go. I want to like you know I want to help out. All right, well here. Yeah. Well, I think Lincoln's hands was tied a lot of times. He's playing. Yeah. Gentlemen. Oh, totally. To make happy. Um. So. But yeah. So then that night, you know, they kind of settled back down their camps, and um, I don't know how far we want to take it here. Um, what do you want to add or wrap it up on here, Mary? I've just got to the wounding of Stonewall for May 2nd. Okay. So they kind of go back to their camps. They regroup. Um, and I guess we'll leave it there. That's a good way to leave it. You good with that? Yep. I'm good with that. All right. So at this point we have Hooker came up with the complex plan. Um, to try to fight Lee on his old defensive. And he's trying to do this counter march. Uh, Lee counters by splitting his army up, which actually leads to kind of two flank movements by Jackson. Jackson's now caught the Union on the right. Uh, he gets shot, and he's in the process of dying. Lee now gets news at this night that basically Jackson's out of the fight. Um, so he's going to have to make some decisions there. Booker's going to have to make some decisions in the morning and regroup. And that's kind of where we'll leave it for part one of Chancellorsville. So um, this works well. 
so I can finish my book going into the next episode. Um, so hopefully you enjoyed part one of Chancellorsville. We'll be coming back with uh, part two here shortly. Remember the hooker ones out there. So if you know, just wet your whistle and you want more, uh, listen to the hooker one. And now we're going into our weekly segments, which is for the people by the people. Mary, you got one? Yep, I do. Go ahead. So this is from Saturday from the uh, Real Spitter Facebook page. It's posted by Robert, and he just said, all Abe, all the time. And it is just all these photos of Abraham Lincoln in chronological order. And it's really interesting just to see how he changed, you know, not just before he was president, but through the presidency as well. Mine is not really Lincoln related, but it comes from presidential trivia. And I know we've talked before, like, who do we cast as presidents and stuff? We talked about Alec Baldwin. It's a spitting image of Millard Fillmore. Um, You know, we talked about casting Sherman and stuff like that. Presidential trivia one day ago posted brother Rutherford B. Hayes next to a picture of Drew Brees like he was dressed in period piece and they are pretty damn close of a spinning image of each other so I don't know if you saw this Mary or not I didn't but they looks like him it is pretty amazing I love when people cast stuff and I also love casting myself and I've cast like Michael Fassbender as Sherman Yes. Oh, yeah, I know that. That's a very favorable casting, just for the record. Yeah, and then I keep saying Leonardo DiCaprio for Grant, but everybody's like, no. <laughs> That's ridiculous. Oh, th- Christian Bale played Dick Cheney, and he pulled it off damn well. So I think Leonardo, if he grew a beard, could play Grant. Um, and then speaking of Grant, this is like really reaching out there, but um, if any real splitters have HBO... Um, watch Chernobyl, the miniseries. The guy that played General Grant is in it. So you watched that miniseries? Yes. Was it good? It is amazing. When did it air? Uh, they just did episode three on Monday, so I guess... Oh, I guess I saw the preview after one of the Game of Thrones. Don't even get me started on that. Oh, my gosh. No, I don't want to talk. I didn't even watch the last episode of Game of Thrones. I read the rev- I read a spoiler thing the next day, and I was like, nope. The first 20 minutes were great, and then after that, garbage, garbage. I sent you the picture of Breeze and Hayes. Oh, thank you. i got to have a look at it. So, get Mary's on-air reaction here. Oh, my God. Wow. Yes. That's crazy. <laughs> sure is. This week in Lincoln, what you got? Um, I have a post uh, that was done by Andrea on our Facebook page, and she actually just captioned it as This Week in Lincoln. And it is a bag of popcorn called Old School Movie Theater Popcorn, and it's got a photo of Lincoln wearing 3D glasses, which I'm like, is that hashtag too soon, or is that funny? Uh, That's funny. I've seen that. I don't know why I haven't. I I should have thought about posting that. So Um, shout out to Andrea. So Mm -hmm. thank you for filling our This Week in Lincoln. So it's good to be back on the show. I think we'll have Jared B. back soon. Yep. Um, coming up. Summer's coming here. So I know he's had a crazy year um, winding down. And then what's your Facebook thing? Is it Civil War Fangirl on Facebook? Yeah, Civil War Fangirl. Just on Facebook. Follow Mary. 
That way, she's going to be Facebooking live from Grant's bed. Yep. From Grant's cradle. Grant's, Grant's, Grant's cradle. <laughs> yeah, that kind of, yeah, that didn't sound too That good. was. Mary will be in Grant's bed. Um, <laughs> Face, doing Facebook live. The Facebook live. That might get censored. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, I worded that wrong, so I apologize. Um. <laughs> That was great. Are we going to be on a week hiatus again then? Probably, huh? Unfortunately, we will be. And this time, like, and Nick, it wasn't your fault the last time stuff happens. And, but I do blame myself this time because I have my holidays next week. So I won't be able to record. And I'm sorry for that. No apologies needed. So the good news is for all the rail splitters are the school's winding down. So I think instead of just two of us, we'll be back to three relatively soon. And on me and Jared's end, the Illinois connection of this, our lives will be a lot slower, which will lead to more consistent episodes because Mary's usually always good to go. I enjoy. I, I have to say this is like my weekly therapy Agreed very much. Yeah. So, and then I might be coming to you before you hear us next, possibly on a Facebook Live down in Springfield. Oh, you should do it. Um, and, yeah. So, hopefully, everybody's having a great start to the summer out there in Rail Split Nation. Join the Facebook group. We're up to 300, over 300. Am I correct? Right yeah. Now? Yeah. We're, like, I approve a couple people on a daily basis. Um, we also have our Twitter account, which... Um, I've been, I apologize. I've kind of dropped the ball on that. I've been super busy lately with just some other stuff that's been going on, but I will pick it back up and, um, I will be sure to post some photos from, uh, the Grant birthplace. I'm also going to, uh, the Cincinnati museum. They have an Egyptian exhibit there, which I know has nothing to do with Abraham Lincoln or the civil war. Um, I'm going to see that. Um, and just see what else there's in Cincinnati. Um, I mean, Cincinnati is also the place where I think Sam and Chase is buried, as well as Joseph Hooker. Nice. So we'll see. Maybe I will go visit the cemetery that they are in. Well, now you got to do it. I know. Yeah, I've said it. So now I've got to do it. I was just checking our ratings. We have been stuck at 41 for a couple weeks, so you should turn this podcast off once we sign off. Go to iTunes. Give us a rating. We'll read it on there. It helps spread the word. If you know people who think this looking for, you know, a Lincoln community online who are interested in him or Civil War too, uh, spread the word out there because we enjoy the interaction. Um, and hopefully you've enjoyed listening to us ramble nonsense. So... Anything else for the cause? I don't think so. Just thank you to all our awesome real splitters out there. Um, just there's some, there's people who post on a daily basis on the Facebook page and we always appreciate it. And um, you guys are a great community and uh, just become kind of friends too. So it, it's, it's awesome. Yes. And then when you see Mary around and about, say hi to her. She's used to it. She's a A-list celebrity in the Civil War world. Stop it. I'm not. <laughs> not yet. Not yet. Not yet. We'll get you there. You'll get there before me, Nick. Uh, no, nah, I doubt that. 
Boothy Barn, I think, is already there. Yeah, he is. He's A-list. Yep. All right. So, as I say, I'll probably butcher this, but, you know, chari- charity for all with malice towards none. I didn't even say that right, did I? What the hell is it? With Can malice towards know? none and charity for all. Peace out, Real Nation. <laughs> this is how we're ending this episode. Yep. Boy, if you're listening, we need you back here soon. All right. Bye. <laughs> bye, guys. <laughs>